Welcome to Dragon Talk. <clears throat> nope, do over. <clears throat> do that right over. Welcome to Dragon Talk. Mm, better. Welcome to Dragon Talk. Hey. Hey. Who are you? The rule of three. That's yeah, what it is. It. I got the third uh, welcome in there. I like it. We are here for the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. That's right. Who are we? Greg Tito. Shelly Mazzanoble. Coming at you. We're here to say. It's Freaky Friday. It's Dungeons and Dragons happening every day. My son, Quinn, uh, is really cute. Stop talking about your kid. <laughs> That's all you do. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Wait, when do I ever say that? I'm so sick of hearing about him. <laughs> <laughs> I poop all also, the time. <laughs> also, I think that you're the funniest, most creative, most wonderful person in the world. <laughs> I think you're amazing, Shelly. <laughs> Instead of talking about your dumb kid, I wish you would just talk more about yourself. That's where the action is. Well, I am a garbage person who poops all the time uh, and cleans up puke and throws it into dumpsters. <laughs> a garbage person. We should play a game of Dungeons and Dragons in which we're playing like other people in the office. That won't be oh, bad at let's all. Let's do that in front of HR. <laughs> yes. That Actually, let's be. play as HR I in front of them. Love it. They will uh, be like, that's such a sweet game. <laughs> You're so nice you to each so other. Great. Lifting each other up. Look Lift at that. you up. Good thing they don't listen to our podcast. That's very good. Uh, so we've got so much going on in Dungeons & Dragons world, it's hard to parse sometimes, isn't it? That's why we're here. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And D&D News. And D&D News. And Dragon Plus. And Dragon Plus. Yeah. All those things. That's where I get my news from. We just got back from the Gary Con. That's right. In Lake Geneva. No offense, Ryan, but, uh, we actually got applause and stuff. It was kind of nice having a studio audience. I applaud that. Me too. Good job. Yeah. Well, we've got a new technician. Uh, <laughs> Applausy Archie. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Every time we said a welcome to Dragon Talk, we they had went, some applause woo! happening. And yeah, we were like, and they oh. applauded our guests. It made me feel really good. I know. I was like, maybe we could do like a little studio audience sometime. Just invite it. some I've some always... people to come sit on the floor in front of us. And, and laugh at our and jokes. La- we'll hold up signs. Yeah. Applause. Applause. Laugh. applause. laugh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I oh. will do that. Uh, so anyway, the Gary Cons. <laughs> it was great, wasn't it? Being there and seeing all the, the historical people. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, really thinking about like, hey, we are here in Lake Geneva where this all began. Hearing the stories and then going to actually see the sites, that was pretty cool. Did you go to see? Did you go? To, you, I did. You, Merle's gave me a little tour. Sweet. And it's all just like right there in a little Right, right in area, downtown. Which is convenient because it was like. A degree, and the wind was blowing, yeah. and I was like, uh. Did you see the uh, ice castles that were up by the lake? Yes. That was gorgeous. I was, like, sad they were, like, closed. I we know, couldn't I actually go explore in them, but there were these. Like it D- seemed like it was a holiday-themed. Like a cool uh, D&D adventure. I know, right? Like, yeah. I, they were missing out on their on their d- target audience. Seriously. Just keep it open one more week. Come on. Ice dragons. I think they just closed. I think Somebody so was telling me about them. Yeah. Uh, but I loved it, and I just loved being around uh, that the whole lake? culture, yeah. the scenery, and then, of course, all the people who uh, uh, were instrumental in creating so much fun D&D stuff. And they all said it was like a reunion coming back. Yeah. You know, they're all still happy to be there and to celebrate this and to see each other. And It's true. Cool. It's, it's just, true. Yeah. I dug it. And then I played Dungeons & Dragons uh, on the Monday when I got back, so I... 
You did? It was a glutton for punishment. I played D&D uh, the whole group? weekend and then my group and we played and uh, one of them brought all of these um, modules that he had from when he was a kid. No way. And I was like, oh, I talked to that person. I talked to that person who Are made that. Are you serious? She, uh, <gasps> one of them was he pulled out the, the, the Greyhawk folio that had the map that Darlene was telling us about. And uh, I was like, I spoke to the woman who made no, this map. you saw the map. I saw the map. Yeah, and that, which I remembered from back in the day, but I was like, oh God, I can't believe you just were, it, it, it's amazing having all those conversations and then seeing the actual products. That is so cool. Um, that were like the touchstone that, that my friend was like, oh, this is how we used to play. And I was like, oh my God, that's great. There was Isle of Dread, uh, all the stuff that uh, Dave Cook was talking about. Yeah. One of great. my uh, favorite Gary Con memories, though, was when we had dinner on Wednesday and you introduced yourself to the nice gentleman to your left. Yes. And he was like, oh, hi, I'm Earl. And Errol. You were like, Errol. And you were like, Earl Otis, I know your name. I've seen your signature on like everything. <laughs> he said it, it just like that. It was. It was just like that. I turned into like so Gomer Pyle or something. And he was so, he was just so like humble. Like, oh yeah, that's me. Yeah. And you know what's cool about I mean, obviously, I, I, I geeked out talking to him about his artwork, but I was like, what are you running uh, here? And he's running, he was running, you know, first edition Dungeons and Dragons, but it was also nautical themed. Yeah. Which I was like, what's going on with and the zeitgeist here? All of the nautical, I saw tons of nautical accessories in the exhibitor hall. Yes. Did you notice that? No, I didn't notice that. There was like these cool, like, uh, like the bottom of a ship planks that you could put out on your map. Nice. And... I heard the woman talking to the gentleman that was interested in her wares, and she was like, yeah, it's ships. It's the next big thing. I was like, oh, mm. you so you say. Because, of course, we announced Ghosts of Salt Marsh mm-hmm. as the next big thing coming from Dungeons & Dragons. It is a book coming out on May 21st. 2019, in case you were wondering about the year. Um, and it's got so much nautical-themed goodness within it. Uh, two covers are going to be available. One is the standard cover that has beautiful artwork by Gregors Rutkowski. That's just my pseudonym. I don't know if wow. you know. Gregors. No, um, beautiful. I love the the sweeping waves so and the cracking in the behind. Yeah, you kind of get the like... background. You kind of... the behind. It's not called the behind. You know, the behind, the behind of, of the, the art. <laughs> the behind. The behind. <laughs> You're so so artistic. It's a very technical term. Uh, yeah, and then the Sahu again climbing into the the boat in the foreground and all that fun stuff. It's beautiful. Yep. Um, then of course there's the uh, alternate cover art by NC Winters that just features a Sahu again snarling at the. I don't think I've even seen audience. That. It's very cool, and I used it uh, when I ran uh, one of the kind of portions or adventures of yes. uh, Ghost of Salt Marsh for folks at. Uh, Gary so Kahn. did they know that you were actually previewing that book when you were running it? Uh, no, not really. It was kind of like hinted at uh, because we had to list those before we had announced. Uh, but I, not even I realized. I thought it was just. I didn't realize. A, I thought that. it was just an adventure that was kind of in the theme of the book. I didn't realize it's actually one of the chapters that you can play in Ghost of Sodom. So I played that. At you Gary did. And yeah. Chris Lindsay's game. You did indeed. It was awesome. That was written by Mike Merles. Yeah. Uh, that adventure. So that's pretty fun. Yep. And uh, Chris Lipsy. Uh, uh, Chris, pretty, Chris Lipsy? Chris Lipsy. That's his name. Lipsy Russell. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the center square. <laughs> Chris Lipsy Russell. Oh, man. We should do like a D&D squares. That would oh, be really fun. Do that at, at like a convention. I want to do that. Oh, my gosh. Who wants to make D&D squares for me? Uh, 
I do. Right, let's get some concepts together on that. Uh, but yeah, so you'll be able to check out Ghost of Saltmarsh. It was fun previewing it all. Uh, look at the yep. streamed games from Gary Khan if you want more previews of what was going on there. It's it's pretty fun. Yep. May do 21st. Do Did that. I say that? May 21st? Yeah. It's going to be out there. Sail the, the high seas. Nautical by nature. <laughs> Ooh. Gosh, that would have been the best tagline. Why don't we do that? You can still use it. All right. It's nautical by nature. Yeah. I was loving the, you know, uh, uh, nautical-themed Pashmina Afghan from On a Boat. Oh. Yeah. Um, I was going to say one more thing. Oh, uh, a good use of boats for you guys is uh, the Falling Star boat from our friends at WizKids. Oh, that It's been beautiful. by you in the office for, for a longish time. Yeah. Um, but it's now available everywhere. Uh, it's from WizKids. It is a fantastic miniature scale boat. It is so cool. It is so cool. It's got two masts that, uh, this is one of my favorite features. It's got magnets that hold the masts in place. Yeah. So you can remove them, uh, but they stand up very well uh, with those strong uh, magnets yeah. in there. It's got tons of detail. The, the windows that open. The windows that open, right? It makes it feel like a dollhouse. Yes, I know. As well as the um, the gold dragon figurehead and the gorgeous the anchor there. Uh, I know oh, that anchor to, is so clever! It's so clever. The dragon's claw. Yeah, it's really cool. I want that like in my life. And we saw a really cool um, at GaryCon. Yes, that booth that I'm going to forget. Oh shoot! They also made that amazing table too that we were playing on. They had a very cool. They had it displayed really cool. They had lights and stuff in it. I want to call it Axel and Hammerstein, but that's not it. Oh, that was it. Was Axe and Hammer? Oh my God! You were so close. I actually wasn't that far off. Yeah, yeah, they were awesome. So, so good job all around. Uh, most of the dealer floor was really kind of cool. I picked up yeah. those. I think you did too. Uh, three of the magic items that were just small little trinkets yes. that had, you know, D and D. I haven't uh, given them to Quinn yet. I, I'm actually going to make him a treasure hunt, Gosh, like a real, so honest cool. to God. Treasure hunt. I've got a box, uh, like a small like chest box that has Gary Khan Eleven on it. Uh, really? that you can use it as the treasure chest if you want. Oh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. To find those things in there. My girls loved them. They, they, I got one with a spider pendant that was like a, spi- a pendant oh, of spider climbing. That's really cool. Uh, which was awesome. And then uh, Fiona and had the key and a book. Oh, I love that. And she was so excited key. about those. She kept bugging uh, uh, my wife to get her a chain. So that she could bring it to Off school. She wore it as a chain to school, these little magic item uh, really trinkets. Did. Uh, yeah. And she's going to be like, look at my magic look at, item. I have a key and a book, magic book of spell story. Oh, I love that so uh, much. Adorable, right? So it was a great time. Uh, we really loved Lake Geneva. Uh, yeah. We are excited about our interview today. We speak to Jim Zub. He was not at Gary Con, but he is here for Emerald City Comic Con or And there's been so many fun comic book artists descending upon Seattle this week. I can't wait to meet more and more of them. Uh, but Jim was great. He talks through uh, the Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons uh, comic book uh, that is now available in trade form right now all four issues in one volume with tons of extra artwork um is available uh everywhere uh right now it's burning up the charts on amazon it is is. got a few exclusive editions one is in gamestop that one includes the adventure written by adam lee (gasps) that we played for extra life yeah the glorb i didn't even i did not know that until I opened up that book and I was like, Temple of Glorp. You, you play so much D&D now. I'm like all about D&D. On the cameras. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, I kind of like playing D&D now. Like, I don't know like if I need to always do it on a camera. But, but you're into it now. I just want to keep playing. Yeah. 
Well, let's do it. Well, okay. We'll turn on the camera right now. Let's play right now. No, I just want to play. You can dungeon master. Stop it. <laughs> I keep trying to you, get you to level up. You've taken this too far now. <laughs> yeah, right. You're going to level up. Too far. A year from now, you're going to be like, I just dungeon mastered at Gary Khan, and it was so much fun. Oh, yeah. You, you will. Know. I bet you will. I won't. I, I won't. I won't. <laughs> you can't make I won't me. do it. I shan't do it. <laughs> 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 um, but we're all excited about what Jim is making, not just with the Rick and Morty uh, comic stuff. books, but we're going to talk some more about his Young Adventurer's Guides, the ter- first two volumes of which come out July 16th. Uh, he'll tell you all the, the titles of them, but I believe it's um, Monsters and Creatures and Heroes and, no, Warriors and Weapons. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is fantastic. And then there's two more coming later on, uh, one about dungeons. I hope and that one there's about a thousand more coming. Spellcasters, there's going to be... F- Four hundred. So excited! It's gonna about fly this. off the shelves. Sorry, uh, Jim, but keep writing. There are these practical guides for. Um, well, they're not actual practical guides. Not the practical but, guides. But uh, they, uh, you know, are aimed at younger um, readers. You know, eight to twelve. Uh, get, introducing concepts about Dungeons and Dragons using brand new uh, art, which I think is also a big selling point uh, yes. for these books. So cool. So cool. Well, we'll leave it to the interview uh, to, to find out more about that from Jim. Yep. Who's a fantabulous person all around. I'm so glad he's, he's back in the office. And he, you know what? He just really loves D&D. He loves... He's very passionate about it. He's very articulate when he talks about it, which is two combinations that I just love. And, you know, he's, he's, he's writing Avengers comics. He's writing all these amazing comic book things uh, yeah. on his own. Um, and I just love that D&D is like almost like a side hustle in some weird way. But he's so passionate about it that you're like, oh, this is, yep. this is amazing. Yep. Uh, so very cool. And uh, is there anything else uh, you want to kind of touch on before we jump well, to our I'm, segment? I'm really excited to, to just get on with the segment. Let's do it. Let's okay. listen to uh, Mr. Chris Perkins talk about the rule of three. Welcome to another Lore You Should Know segment where we talk about little bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore for fun and maybe you get to use it in your games. I am Greg Tito and I'm joined by Chris Perkins. Hello. How are you, sir? That's bad. We are not speaking between the sheets. We are speaking about the rule of three. Sometimes called the rule of threes. Threes. Yes. It's it's plural. It's not just one. Uh, It was first introduced as the rule of threes. In, in later editions, it was sometimes truncated to Rule of Three. Got not it. to be confused with the character Rule of Three. Right. Which, which we'll m- get to. Many people did. Uh, did yeah, when you, you, this was a topic that you mentioned uh, uh, on Twitter as one that we should, we should talk about for this segment. And I saw a whole bunch of people uh, uh, talking about it. So uh, Absolutely. Here, you, get the, you get the brain dump here from, from Mr. Perkins. Exactly. So what is the Rule of Threes, you may ask? I'm, I'm asking it right now. It is a guiding principle of the D&D multiverse. Now, I say that with the knowledge that it didn't really exist prior to second edition. It was with the introduction of the Planescape campaign setting Mm. with all of its um, philosophical discussion. I see. Uh, That that campaign sort of brought philosophy front and center and made it a a, uh, showcase feature of the setting. You chose factions based on philosophies and then you embraced that philosophy with your character. Right. Uh, In Planescape campaign setting... Rule of Threes was mentioned as this thing that is pervasive throughout the D&D multiverse and creatures 
on the higher planes or the outer planes tend to be more sensitive to it than people from the material plane. Okay. Although even in Earth culture, three is a very powerful number, as we know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when you, when you were mentioning that, I was thinking of like the three pillars of, of Dungeons & Dragons play. The three pillars of Dungeons & Dragons Which is totally play, a different thing, right, but, but yes. you're, you're talking about the foundational yeah. uh, uh, ideas behind the multiverse, this exactly. idea of separate shards yeah. of reality. So similar to uh, Earth-based numerology, three has great power in the D&D world. In the D&D multiverse. Uh, For instance, there are three evil alignments. There are three good alignments. Mm -hmm. There are nine alignments total, which you can put on a grid of three by three. (laughs) There's the nine hells, which has, of course, three times three layers. Hags get their power in covens of three. Mm -hmm. There are three kinds of lower fiends, yugoloths, demons, and devils. Um you see these sort of patterns of three coming up again and again. There's the material plane, then there's the inner planes, then there's the outer planes. Yeah. There's the material plane, and then it's two shadows, the Feywild and the Shadowfell. Oh, um, yeah. These sort of mirror planes. Uh, there's even the idea of, of, of a dungeon master who would, who would present three different options. You know, I, I, you exactly. know, sometimes it's about binary, yes. but in many ways, I think... Precisely, yes. And so what Planescape argued uh, and, and sort of compelled DMs to think about is how things can happen in threes throughout the campaign and structure your planar campaigns and your campaigns in general always around three possibilities or three pillars or three ways out of a situation. Yeah. If uh, you, on the outer planes, particularly in somewhere like Sigil, which is kind of a, the donut-shaped heart of the multiverse, mm-hmm. um, mm, if you want donuts. to... Donuts. Donuts. Sorry, I couldn't mm, resist. Yeah. <laughs> Three donuts. Mm, even better. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're in Sigil and you want to buy something, it's always better, luck-wise, to pay in three different kinds of currency. Ah. So people often will pay something with gold, silver, and copper all at once um, because it's considered to be good fortune. If you're going to toast to the gods, toast to three of them mm. because you're just smarter and wiser for having done so. Yeah. So these kinds of superstitions and belief systems started to permeate D&D pretty much from Planescape on. And in addition, since, we've constantly um, reminded people that that's a thing in the multiverse that they can tap into, uh, that DMs can. And, uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll do it when it makes sense in a story to hearken back to that kind of thing. And, um, and sometimes it's extremely subtle, like just giving three different options for how to do something or three different tests or a character who asks for three different things. Give me a riddle. Give me, um, uh, give me an insult and give me a, a secret, you know? Yeah. And even, you know, if, uh, uh, the idea of collecting a certain number of items yes, in, in order to right. complete a quest, you know, exactly. it's almost always in threes. In, in Waterdeep Dragon threes. Heist, to get into the vault with all the gold, you need three keys. Yeah. Um, Easy peasy. And, and uh, I'd be lying if I said the rule of threes was not on my mind when I was trying to figure out how many keys is the right key. Oh. If you don't know, it's three. <laughs> yeah, just default. Exactly. Or a multiple of three. Right, Yes. Uh, interesting tangent, but anybody who's a fan of the Dark Matter campaign setting might recall that it had its own uh, uh, number, a special number that kept cropping up, and that was 23. Oh. But that's a whole different conversation that for is. a whole different game. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to that on yeah. the special Lori Shadow segment later. Exactly. Yes. 
So yeah, uh, so as you look at D and D books and stories going forward, just pay attention. You know, you may see you may start seeing the number three everywhere. It's like yeah. that next generation episode. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and there's something fascinating too about you know uh, um, the cosmology or the the gods uh, all seem to have groups of three as well. Yes, absolutely. And and in in the faiths that have been built up over the years, you can actually see this idea reinforced. For instance, uh, we all know the god Lathander, yeah. the Morning Lord, the the, dawn, the god of dawn and rebirth. Um, there is a uh, a religious doctrine or tenet in Lathander's faith, which is called the heresy of the three-faced sun. Mm. And that is the idea that uh, there will come a time when Lathander is uh, uh, sort of, um, not demoted, but uh, forced to take on two other aspects. So he becomes the god of the morning, then there's the god of the midday, and then there's the god of the, the, the dusk. And all three of these aspects will be woven together in one new sun god. Actually, a new sun god with an old name, Amanator. Um, And so uh, this heresy is part of Lathander, sort of embedded in the the, the lore of the game. And other cults and religions in D&D have these kinds of threefold prophecies or threefold elements. Yeah, and then that harkens back to, you know, real world religions of the Holy Trinity. Exactly, yes. Judaism, Christianity, and, and Islam as being a three-faced, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, form of precisely. Theory. So the D and D multiverse is kind of echoing that in a way with its own take on the the three, the awesomeness of threeness. Yeah, the threeness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I mentioned at the top of this thing that there's this character called Rule of Three. Yes, and he is a colorful chap who uh, was first mentioned in the early Planescape material. Got full-fleshed treatment in a book called Uncaged: Colon. Faces of Sigil, mm. which happens to be probably my favorite, if not second favorite, Planescape product that ever came out. It's just a collection of cool NPCs that haunt the, the streets and establishments of the city of Sigil. And this guy, Rule of Three, he is a Cambian, so he's a half-fiend. His father was a Glabritsu demon, and his mother was a human, mm-hmm. who hangs out at a tavern called the Styx Oarsman. And basically just meddles in people's business and is always asking them questions, trying to get information. He's sort of an information broker, but he might have insidious intentions to kind of unravel the multiverse. Mm. And he always deals in threes. He always gives three pieces of advice. He demands three kinds of payment. He, everything is three, 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 three with him. And often his, his threefold advice can be contradictory and confounding, as many things in Planescape are. <laughs> uh, and was that... I, uh, you know, I, I spoke to Dave uh, Cook, uh, otherwise known as Zeb Cook, yes. uh, uh, when we were at GaryCon, which was fascinating. Mm-hmm. And he had a lot to do with right. he the was, formation yes. of that Planescape yes, he setting. Did. He was the lead designer on that. Um, you know, do you, was that was that product or that name of that uh, character? Do you think was was uh, put in there as a as an homage to this idea? Oh, I'm sure, but you'd have to ask him to be absolutely sure. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd have to say so. Uh, now, I think by the time. Uh, rule and rule of three, I think, has resonated on some level because he's one of the few Planescape characters who seems to surface again and again and again in different products. So he popped up again in third edition. He popped up again in the fourth edition books, um, both the fourth edition manual of the Planes and another fourth edition book that escapes me right now. Uh, he showed up in there as a character, and um, we haven't done anything with him, particularly with fifth edition yet. Uh, but it seems like a character that uh, you know yeah. would meet Strix uh, uh, and one of John's to Sigil yes. and, and confound Absolutely. her. 
I have thought many. I have thought many times that if the Waffle Crew, my my player group, ever gets back to Sigil, that I'll have to find a way to get them to the Sticks Oarsman just so they can rattle around with this guy. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, so how do, how do you use this kind of rule of three uh, uh, in your in your dungeon mastering? How's it, how's it a way to to make sure that uh, it um, you know isn't just a bit of lore, but something that people can use practically? So. Um, one piece of advice that I give, and I, I actually hold myself to when it comes time to building my campaign and running it, is always have three stories happening in the campaign. Uh, and you can set that up right from the beginning and say, okay, in my campaign, one of the stories is going to be a war story. Like the kingdom where the characters are from is fighting somebody else. That's one of the stories. So you may cross paths with that story at various times over the levels. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to introduce two other stories. And one of them might be a more character-focused one. And then there's a third one. And the idea is that you know how campaigns work. Sometimes DMs have fatigue Mm -hmm. and they start to – the campaign. they don't know where to take the campaign. Or the players sometimes don't know where to go. They're sort of missing the clues yeah. that, are, that are supposed to be getting them online. But if you have three tentpole stories, you can kind of ping pong off of those three yeah. to shake things up. So if they get bored with the war story, you can suddenly have this other story intrude. And when they get tired of that one, you can shift to the three, to the third one. But if you always have three, mm-hmm. you'll alleviate much of the boredom and misdirection that can happen in a campaign. So I do that, all, I do that constantly. Um, with with all the stories, there's and then some of the stories things. will resolve, and then and if a story resolves, a then you can introduce a new one exactly. But if you always have three going on, and in some cases, like the third story might not get as much attention as the first two, and might be more of a background thing that the characters hear about, yeah, and may not intrude except occasionally, and that's okay. They don't have to be weighted equally. It's just a way for the characters to know that there's depth to the world, that there's more going on that they can handle, but that they're never going to run out of things to do, yeah. Uh, and if they get tired of one plot line, they can skip over to the other. And so that, that's sort of a, a rule of three rule that I kind of <laughs> impose on my own campaigns. It's more of a guideline than a rule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's awesome. Fun. All right, great. Uh, how can people get in touch with you to find out more about, uh, about this rule of three and or uh, you know, just being awesomer? I. Well, I don't know about that. But if, <laughs> if you have questions about Rule of Three, then maybe I can help you. Or D&D questions. But if you want to be more awesome, talk to somebody more awesome. Um, <laughs> you can reach me on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. Excellent. Uh, and thank you. And we'll be back with uh, some, some more segments next week. Do you know everything about the rule of three now? I know, I didn't know that I didn't know so much about the rule of three. Do you know what the rule of three is? It's when you say three things in a list. The third one's always funny. Yes. <laughs> That's what I know it to be. Or you, you can call back something three times before it becomes annoying. Oh, I didn't realize that. I just call back things over and over again. Uh, <laughs> is this, is this <laughs> I actually don't know. I've actually made that up. You're I like, just wanted to have some other, like, some other rule. funny writerly Rule of three thing. Do you have a rule of three thing as uh, being a parent where you're like, you drop that three times. Three is the the magic number. You go to your room. Yep. I'm not going to tell you again. Yeah. That's your second warning. One more time. And the third time really. Third time is the charm. It's the charm. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. The terrible threes. The terrible threes, which really were more terrible than the twos. Yeah. Well, actually, you know what? The fives are not that good, nor the sevens. Oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it just gets worse and worse. Hey, I can't wait for the the, the horrible uh, 16s. Oh, well, 
that will legitimately be bad. It's going to be not Especially because you have two girls. They're going to be so much love. But they're going to play D&D. And they're going to be well-adjusted and great. That is very true. That is going to be the the tie that binds uh, my girls together is going to be us uh, adventuring. That's the only reason they're going to talk to you. (laughs) It's true. If you ever want to get to know things about your children, you have to DM for them. And it's mostly going to be like, hey, Dad, can we get the latest Dungeons & Dragons book? I need more dice. (laughs) Take me to the store and get me some dice. (laughs) That sounds like all of my daughters right there. At 16. At 16, they're going to That's what they're going to sound like. Hey, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) Go to the store and give me some dice. No, I'm going to go. Give me the car keys. I got to go to Meeple's. No, at 16, they're going to be like 10 years from now. So it's like, give me the the air car. (laughs) Let me give me the teleportation device. Tell the robot car to drive me (laughs) to the store. Voice. That was almost a little like Will Ferrell or something. me <laughs> Jesus. I just. <laughs> it's so <laughs> funny. Shelly's drooling. That really brought up a lot of saliva. <laughs> Turn me to the store, robot car. <laughs> <laughs> Alexa, drive me to the store. Alexa, where's my dice? <laughs> Sorry. Here are your holographic graphic dice. I'm sorry. Here is your interview I'm with sorry. Jim's up now. I don't know that. Dragon talk? I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you I think you could audition for some uh, some uh, Alexa stuff you got there. Uh, do you like my Alexas? I do. And we are here uh, with uh, an amazing person who I, it is always a delight Greg to Tito have. Greg Tito is an amazing Thank person. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Hi, Jim's up. How Hi. are you? Hello. I'm, I'm here, good. too. You make everything happy. Why don't you get it's an okay. introduction? No, I don't know. I didn't get one today because you're an amazing person. That does not matter. <laughs> Shelly is also an amazing yeah, person, but geez. that's known. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Shelly. Old news. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. The for old people. <laughs> it's old, old news. news for, oh. That's my new podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. Old news for old <laughs> people. Like well, as the Canadian me. here, I will politely ask you to introduce yourself. My name is Shelly Mazanoble. Welcome. The You're other the person who's here. <laughs> <laughs> the other host of the Spine Club. I'm going to leave. You guys can talk. Yeah. You guys do the interview. Make it happen. Yeah, so do you like comic books? I love comic books. <laughs> I love one know. in particular. What's that? It's this. It's based on this Cartoon Network show called Rick and Morty. Oh, my God. It is God. like the funniest thing I've ever read. Oh, thank you. Oh, did I you write tiny, that? I had a tiny sliver of a part in that. Oh, <laughs> that is so funny. I, I, uh, yeah, yeah. We did a... It's so surreal saying this out loud. We made a Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons story, and it's real, and you can get it now. And that does not seem possible to me. Not just in comic book form, but it's an actual paperback yeah, and or hardcover. It's a hardcover. People it. can purchase and enjoy. It freaks me out. Yeah. Uh, two years ago, so I'm here in town in Seattle for Emerald City Comic Con. Which some people say E-C-C-C-C-C-C-C. Exactly. That. <laughs> you said that so eloquently. There's too, too many C's, <laughs> and it never stops. It's an infinite C's. Like I don't know why. E C C C C. E C C C C C. E C C. I'm here for E C C. And and this show is so special because it's sort of this this show, but also Emerald City Comic. Also special. Right. Every year, it just feels like something very special happens or amazing or, or in the last two years, two years ago, someone first brought the idea, a Sarah Gatos, who at the time was at IDW mm-hmm. publishing and hilariously now works at Oni Press, the co-publisher of, of the Rick and Morty D&D comic. She came to me and said, we have a crazy idea. We went out with 
that when he pressed people for dinner and everyone was brainstorming weird stuff and someone said we should do crossovers and the idea of Rick and Morty Dungeons and Dragons came up and I laughed what a bizarro concept and she said would you be interested in being a part of that and I said sure but it'll never happen um, but yeah yeah throw my name into the proposal that'd be great I love writing the Dungeons and Dragons comics uh, near and dear to me this would be a hoot uh, like eight or nine months later, she says, we're making headway on it. I'm like, sure you are. There's no way. Hasbro and <laughs> well, Adult Swim are Eight gonna, or nine months later. Yeah, eight or nine months <laughs> later. This is not happening. That's like your classic, you know, oh, sure, the wheels of spinning endlessly. Um, and then last year at this show, we were we were committed to doing it. And I met Pat Rothfuss for the first time in person. And we'd already been Here mailing. in Seattle. For, yeah, for we had dinner. During Emerald City, and we talked about the project and how it was all going to work and what, what we both wanted to bring to the table. And uh, here we are a year later. That book is in stores. I went into Barnes & Noble yesterday, and they have an exclusive version, and it's like front-facing feature book. And we made this thing, and we somehow got this through the filters, and no one's figured out that we should never have done that because how the <laughs> hell could you take these two chocolate and peanut butter and do all the things? And yet – they go together. They do. They so do. perfectly. That was what surprised me. You know, at first it just sounds like kooky crashing toys into each other. Yeah. And then I think how I knew it was going to work was Pat is insane. But also Pat, <laughs> <laughs> um, he wrote this sort of overview document, like here's how we can make this work. And the two things he wrote in there, that was like the first stuff I had received from him after the initial hello emails. Wh- were so intrinsically on point. They were so smart about the, and thoughtful about these two bizarre properties. And they echoed a lot of my own thoughts on them, but just right on the nose, poignant and understanding. And what he said was, and this is me paraphrasing, but it was very close to how it was written. It basically said, people think that Dungeons and Dragons is a bunch of idiots, you know, rolling dice and killing monsters. And it is, but <laughs> it's also you know, an empowering way to tell stories and, and um, a way for you to envision yourself and reinvent yourself and, and understand things about yourself at the gaming table. Mm. People think that Rick and Morty is nihilistic violence and anarchistic kind of, you know, uh, um, jerks and, and, and edgelord kind of humor and all these sorts of things. And it is that. But it's also about broken emotional people trying to figure out how to be a family mm. and some of these deeper, darker, you know, qualities if we can bring both of those elements into play, that there's two levels that the story works on, that we're saying things about D&D and we're saying things about the Rick and Morty cast through D&D, through the power of D&D, then it will work. And if we don't, then we're just going to hit the basic high notes everyone expects, do a bunch of callback humor, and it will be okay but not good. But if we can go deeper and we can make it work on both levels, if we can teach you why D&D is great, even while we're giving it a vicious jab in the stomach. If we can tell you why the cast of Rick and Morty is so special while also being nihilistic and violent and awful, but see that emotional quality beneath the surface, then we've got something. And the fact that we had such a phenomenal artist in Troy Little that could play both those elements. He could play the big, broad, slapstick, violent humor, but he could also do surprisingly, shockingly beautiful and nuanced character expressions and mm. pay off some of the emotional content that we were trying to, uh, to deliver. I'm, I'm amazed at how well some of it you know, came through on the page, stuff that I had hoped 
would come through in the in the the text and the subtext, you know. And I'm excited to now, you know, uh, I, I I'm not a comics reader, you know. I don't get, well, I don't get the first issue. Bye. No, no, <laughs> no, I mean what I mean to that by that is I don't I, I, I never I never bought into going to the comic book and getting sure. an issue, right? But I've read tons of trade paperbacks, sure. and and that's just you know almost like in a graphic novel or that type of way of consuming the right, stuff. Right, right, I think it opens it up to a whole different audience. Absolutely. Uh, and and right now is that moment where yeah. people who who may may have been fans. Of, of both these properties, but they just didn't have... Or just one or the other. Right. That, that's what's cool to me is hearing from people who are Rick and Morty fans who have never played D&D, mm. and they finished reading that book, and they said, I want to now. I'm, I'm engaged yeah. and intrigued about the game. And everyone knows the brand, or everyone knows, you know, what the ampersand, is. or D&D is that thing where you sit around a table and, and roll dice. But now they actually understand something intrinsic about the game, or vice versa, a D&D fan who's like... I, didn't know I know Rick and Morty's about a thing, Rick and, Morty, but yeah. and this surprising love letter to the hobby and game that we all love has truisms about D&D, both the earlier editions of D&D and the current edition of D&D, some of the good and bad things that people can bring into a game and the empowering qualities that it can bring to you mm-hmm. in the escapism and entertainment you know, that you have a direct engagement with instead of just passively you know, being a part of. And I like that people can have that whole... That whole chapter, yeah. they can just it's yeah. not it's not piecemeal. I mean, obviously, there's there's wonderfulness in watching episode by episode, mm-hmm. even with you know so TV or things like that and comic books. Uh, but it's great to be able to sit down and you know spend an hour or two yeah. and read this entire thing and be like, oh gosh, that's so yeah. you know I, I got it now. I, yeah. I feel like I, I consumed and, it all. And because Morty doesn't know how D and D works and he has to learn in the story, mm-hmm. you learn alongside him. And That's if you great. know D and D you recognize what Rick is mucking up or what Rick is putting through the Rick filter yeah. and making it very uh, playing to his you know strengths and weaknesses. But you also get a sense of this is how D and D functions and mm-hmm. this is the way what people bring into their own game, you know, uh, when they play. And that was really important to us. And it's a it's an unexpected gift to be able to do a parody that uses the proper source material where we didn't have to file the serial numbers off and call it like mansions and manticores or something you know like i don't have to make it a DD analog Mm -hmm. like it was the real stuff and we use the real terminology and all the mechanics actually work and while we're making fun of it while we're being joyous with it while we're elbowing it in the teeth we're also using the real stuff that was that's to me that feels really special. That's like having a uh, uh, a, a parody band or a um, a cover band yeah. that deeply loves their subject material, yeah. and like, and they can riff off of it only because they love those specific uh, yeah. uh, licks yeah. and that I style. I think that's why it works. And I have no proof of this, as I have not asked Hillary <laughs> this. But when I go back to my desk, I'm going to ask her because you mentioned, yeah, that'll never get done. Right. Between so thinking about how because there was no like proof concept that no. these two brands would no, that, go that, together. That anyone would. I mean, you know, like Dan Harmon is a is a role-playing game fan. Yes. But he's not the only decision maker at Adult Swim. No. You know, and it's Rick and Morty is a gigantic brand at this point and there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. I know people don't always want to talk about the the corporate side of this stuff, but my job is to navigate a bunch of that while I'm trying to bring entertainment and something that I feel um that I'm bringing myself into a project, right? Yeah. And so I have to navigate whether or not I want to yeah. care about brands and corporate. Those are going to affect my ability to do my job. And, and so we're per- yeah. particular about our brand sure. too. But so 
I have a feeling, this is what I don't have the proof of, right? but I have a feeling that it did probably get made because of you and Pat and knowing that like well, you, the, the yeah. jabs that you take, yeah. they're all done in, in love. You, I think you that's probably to. true, right? Because if it was we someone who was, that we didn't with, know yeah. ahead of time, I think there would have been a lot more uh, uh, trepidation. I don't, I don't, it's, I feel very strange, like hearing that. It's wonderful. I'm super, like, I'm going to roll into a ball and just sort of roll back and forth. Oh, <laughs> like D&D is so, has, has been so important to me. I would not be a writer now without Dungeons and Dragons. It changed me for mm-hmm. the better, and it made me. It ignited a creative spark of storytelling in me that has never died. And being able to do anything associated with D and D has always been special. And then this just felt so bizarre because you're heaping so many other elements onto it, and we're still able to kind of cut to the core of what makes D and D wonderful. Yeah, uh, and somehow you know channel the insanity of, of me and Pat and, and Troy and, and making it all happen. The amount of reference material that we sent over hmm. to Troy, because we were calling out specific editions, so we would say, this is not just a cobalt, this is a second edition cobalt, <laughs> so use the Dieter Lisey artwork or use the, you know, whatever. Did yeah. he have a D&D background? Uh, so Troy played D&D like first edition okay. when he was a younger, you know, right. but that was the last time he played. He's playing fifth edition now with his kids because yeah. of Rick yeah. and Morty. Dungeons. Yeah. Right? What, what, what? And that's <laughs> the thing, right? It does. It, it's like, you know, um, it, it, uh, it's generational now. So we were pulling all this insane reference material and I'm just like sending him all these scans of very particular crazy things. And every so often Pat would get hung up on a weird little visual hook of some old module or portrait from the monster manual can we use this angle can we use this thing just for our own entertainment and then when the fans would recognize it instantly and we were like yeah like making an homage yeah all those little bits you know um someone told me that the the week after issue one came out that the copies of secret of bone hill on ebay shot up (laughs) because we reference it directly in the first issue and I'm like, yeah, that's a great old module. And I was like, we just threw Bone Hill in there because I went through old D&D module titles. And I said, what sounds vaguely wrong? <laughs> Bone Hill sounds like a very, sexual connotation. Can, you know, <laughs> what happened on Bone Hill? Was, no one knows. Morty, you're going to Bone Hill. You know, like, <laughs> so it's like that was the kind of stupidity that we were then able to use the real material. And just, you know, all this stuff we, we, we were pulling on all these threads. I dig it. And, I dig uh, it. and it worked. Um, I loved, uh, you know, by the time we got to issue four, you were giving uh, all kinds of props to the, to the community. Now, mm-hmm. you know, there's that page with uh, all the Dungeon Masters on it. Yeah. Uh, I know uh, folks like Maz were, were yep. super excited yeah. to be And we represented. wanted to surprise people with some of that stuff. The idea that the Dungeon Master, spoilers, there's a Dungeon Master. Uh, we riff <laughs> on the classic Dungeon Master from the old D&D Saturday morning cartoon. And that was our natural choice. As soon as we decided we're going to have the DMBA you know, urge deity, deity kind of figure, we were like, okay, well, it's got to be the little shrimp with the balding and the, you know, but what else can we do? And so you're like, okay, Gygax, and, you know, how can we make this work? And then we said, no, we want to bring it all together. Like, mm-hmm. So let's have some of these really potent modern DMs that have been formative and powerful in the current generation of D&D. And that is really part of the bigger love letter, the reason why we tripped through all the editions, the reason why mm-hmm. we poke at all the different little corners and holes in, in the fandom uh, and the streamers and the, the all that stuff is because it's all part of it now. It's all part of the broader yeah. 
Dungeons and Dragons thing. You had that great uh, 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 tweet storm uh, yeah. from about a week ago. Oh, I went a little nuts. Yeah, I can't but I stop loved it. I loved it. I was I retweeted the crap out of it oh, because I was you. like, you know, there's just there's something really heartfelt about about what you were saying. Yeah, we were the the gist of it is we were talking about why now. Why is D&D hitting, I wouldn't say a peak, but it's definitely hit a visibility that it has not had maybe ever. And why is it grabbing so many people on such an intrinsic level? Mm -hmm. And so this is a conversation that I've had with so many different people. I had it here when I was in the office back in late 2017. I was doing a story push on a project that hasn't been announced yet. Um, a very cool project. A very cool project. Wow, I'm doing more D and D stuff. So many. Oh we haven't even gotten to the, to the to the B portion of this interview. Um, uh, um, and and we talked about why now, why this edition, why this moment, why this community, and people just literally someone on Twitter just asked me. They said, "Well, why do you think D and D's popular right now?" And it like un. Corked oh, no. this bottle, the and I genie just, came I've been out. waiting for someone to ask. I was, me that. Like, I've been waiting for someone to ask that, and I go, <laughs> I've been talking about this nigh constantly for the last few years since fifth edition launched. These are the broadest of. There are many reasons, but these are the broadest elements. And we were talking all about visibility, and we were talking about the way that we engage entertainment, and the way that that a new generation is engaging entertainment. A generation of people that watches Netflix and binge watches stuff and wants customizable. Uh, entertainment when they want, where they want, in the format they want. What is D and D but the ultimate sort of toolkit for creativity and right, storytelling? Right. What you want, when you want, to the amount you want. You want to binge play for eight hours with your friends? Great. Y- you have a good budget. You want to spend a bunch of money on high end, ludicrous collectibles? Sure. <laughs> you want to just have pencil paper and borrow someone's dice? You could be a student on a budget eating ramen, yeah. and you can go to other worlds. Ramen. You can engage your entertainment. In a way that you passively don't watch, you know, you, you watch TV or you watch streaming or whatever, and that's passive. But it, I can make stories, I can engage stories that we can tell a story together, and all of us have input into it. And even if I'm the dungeon master and I'm quote unquote in charge, I don't know where it's going to go, right. and you don't know where it's going to go. But at the end of this thing, we're all going to find it. That's a potent thing that people don't get in their day to day lives. That's mm-hmm. a thing that you you get a voice, you get an engagement, yeah. and you get to be empowered. How many times do you get to have a clear goal, be heroic, or be, heck, be evil, be sexy, be cool in your day-to-day life in always. a fun way? Always. In an, yeah, always. <laughs> all all of those. All the time. Now, <laughs> Mostly the evil one. There, <laughs> definitely. There was a great article in one of Seattle's weekly newspapers today, The Stranger, uh-huh. about Ethan's girl. His, Schoonover? Yep. His, yeah. um, the the. Middle school, the middle school uh, for where, girls. where the girls are mm-hmm. all playing D and D, and it was. I started reading it, and I actually like almost got me misty eyed because Aww. there was this girl that they interviewed, and her parents were like, "We've always described her as very quiet," mm-hmm. and she was like talking about D and D in this amazing way, and about how like she feels confident, and her character makes all these awesome it's choices, empowering. but she's a pirate when she yeah. plays, and like the the author said that while she was talking. The, her mother texted him, and she's like, "My daughter just totally blew me away right now. Like, I don't know the side of That's my child, and like, and it's just bringing it out. And this isn't the first time that we've heard that. But yeah, people. Uh, I know, was so when I was in in I you know played D and D and stuff like that. When my brother went off to university, I got really quiet at school. I was terrified. You know, 
you're getting older, you're a teenager, and you don't want to ever embarrass yourself, and you don't right. ever want to embarrass yourself in front of a peer group or, or you know, that, that classic kind of thing. Role-playing games gave me the confidence to be better at public speaking. They gave me the confidence to have a funny thought and then realize I could say that thing out loud and it wouldn't be the end of the world, you know? Yeah. Even if I got embarrassed. Blame your character. Life could go on. Like, you would just, you would be bigger than that moment, you know? Isn't that weird, though? Like, it's when you amazing. think about, like, a game can make you do, can make but you sports feel those... bring camaraderie to people, right? Yeah. And sports confidence. build confidence. You know, you take karate and you you know how your body moves and you understand, or you you exercise and you feel better, or you hang out with a peer group and you build confidence. There's yeah. no difference there. No, there is the difference. I feel like is that it's so much more accessible to more people because you're not even limited by a lot of those physical limitations, and you're mm. also not. You can come from such diverse backgrounds and bring those experiences to the table so much easier. Yeah. And and on top of all that, there's the safety filter of it's not even really you, it's an empowered yeah. character of you. So you can even experiment and try and 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 be be more, be different, be yeah. weirder and not be afraid that someone's going to slap a label on you because of it. I know I I guess like, I mean, I know the benefits, and I know that it's true. It's not like I have to tell then, you guys this. But no, but, like, I love talking about it. But you're telling our it. listeners. Yeah, yeah, I love cool. talking about it because sometimes I will sit and think, like, how the heck does this, like, why are people, like, playing D&D and then, like, actually, like, literally becoming better people yes. because yeah. yes. of this game, whereas you're talking about sports, and I, I like that analogy, but it still feels different. Like, it still oh, feels like... You're an athlete, and it's more ta- of a tangible thing. Sure, I, but I think it but brings, think the, best quali- it brings yeah, yeah. the best qualities of, it a, does, of yeah. sports because there's a winning and losing-ish aspect. We're rolling dice. There's almost – so there's this we as a team are going to do something. We're yeah. going to defeat villains. We're going to slay dragons. We're going to yeah. do stuff, right? We're going to do it to, together. We're going to do it together. We're going to grow. We're going to change. We're going to build something. But the coolest part is it's not even like a sports game where you go, we need to score as many points – I don't even know where it's going to go. Yeah. I don't even know what what thing we're going, what hole we're going to fall down, and what cool dramatic potential we're going to pay off. These people, their characters are going to fall in love, and this person's going to discover that they're really, um, you know, that they that they have an inner power in themselves, or this other person's an explorer and a tinkerer, and we're all bringing together all these qualities to discover things about ourselves and yeah. each other. Wow, we're being kooky. Wow, we're kicking butt and having fun yep. in a framework that's so flexible that one group wants to be, you know, I jokingly call it the theater majors who are going to, you know, <laughs> nail their wrist to their forehead and they're going <laughs> to cry and they're going to whatever. And I love that stuff. I love it. <laughs> Along with the hardcore strategists that are like, all right, how can I squeeze the maximum potential out of these rules? Yeah. And we actually have a common ground somewhere between that yeah. where we can all do stuff and be engaged. And that's a spectrum. I always think yeah. like, people think like, yeah. oh, it's one way or the other. No. But like, no, there's no. people and there's games and there's, and there's situations people that people where I'll flip. Like I, like yeah. in this particular combat, I'm going to get weirdly specifically strategic mm-hmm. because I can see the interplay of these spells and this tactic. But then other games, I'm like theater of the mind, screw it. Let's just. Yeah. And you're more about your character. Yeah, let's like, have fun with it. Yeah. I, you can have days where you, where you drift along that mode. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And, and the game allows it. for it. Yeah. You know? yeah. Or a different dungeon master, their enjoyment of that process will change your enjoyment of that process. If someone is hardcore narrative DM, I will lean into it. 
yeah. you know. And if they're a hardcore strategic DM, I'm like, oh, okay, I can do uh, this too. I can do some of that. Yeah. yeah. You did you see who the uh, um, the byline was for that stranger I did. article? I by I was going to ask you. I'm like, I think that's his name. That's our um, Matt Baum, who was the, the dungeon master for Queens of Adventure. Queens of Adventure. Awesome. Yeah, uh, and uh, he had never played D and D until he yeah, he did it on a live stream for the Dun- first time. Dungeons what? And yeah, uh, with, yeah. Yeah. With Dungeons and Drag Queens with, here so in Seattle, awesome. uh, which is fantastic. An amazing group. Um, but uh, I love I love hearing uh, uh, about um, you know uh, young people getting into Dungeons and Dragons right. for all of these reasons. I see what you're doing here. Oh. You see it. You see the, the segue. <laughs> Just hung yes. a lamp. Around. Yeah, there you are. Uh, so yes, you got this amazing project yeah. with uh, Ten Speed Press, the yes. same folks who uh, published the Art and Arcana Visual History book. That book Nailed is it. stunning. So stunning. I, I can't I, believe that. I book. hand it to people. I handed it to Gail Simone. Just. Uh, uh, so uh, awesome. A few minutes ago, she yes, was here yes. in the office, uh, and uh, you could see her eyes light up just yeah. wanting to get into uh, all of that. Uh, so amazing publisher, really, yeah. uh, 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 you know, focused on what makes Dungeons and Dragons awesome. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, tell us about this project. So, How did this come about? Yeah, I got to tell you this sort of backstory because it's crazy. So when I was in the office late 2017 doing this story push that I mentioned earlier, one of the things we you know we talk about D and D, of course three days of just hardcore conversation. And one of those things was telling the story about I'm eight years old, I'm playing D&D for the first time with my older brother and cousins and how it empowered me and how it ignited that creativity and how special it was and the, the specific elements of art and lore that tapped into something within mm-hmm. me. And my eyes glitter just thinking about it, you know, and Adam Lee was there and that that guy and I, we are in sync. Like he had very similar formative experiences. And I just think we're having a good conversation over a pint after a day here at the office. Mm-hmm. Months later, they're talking to uh, 10 speed and this idea of a bridging product for say eight year olds to discover and understand the core concepts of D and D. And I'm not talking about rolling dice. I'm talking about storytelling character, where to go, what to do. Mm-hmm. He says, you know who really gets this is Jim Zub. Let's ask him what he thinks of this kind of broad product that we're talking about. And so we start brainstorming over emails, and then we get on some conference calls with the 10-speed people, and it all just starts pouring out of me. Like, I'm eight years old. <laughs> what is what is going to grab my attention and, and make a real impression on on a young me, you know, or someone in that right on the cusp of discovering this cool stuff. Well, mm-hmm. how can we unlock this in other people? And so at first it was literally like one book. We were like, okay, it's going to be this broad overview of like character classes and some monsters, probably more monsters because the monster book always grabs everyone and mm-hmm. look at all that cool art and funky creatures. Yeah. And then we start talking about, well, heroes versus monsters and how this stuff all fits together. And then everyone is so passionate about it. The editors at 10 Speed and the Wizards of the Coast crew and Adam and I and everyone – we're bringing so much joy into it and everyone's like, this is bigger than we thought. This is cooler and we can do more with this. So it's now a series of books called The Young Adventurer's Guides. The Dungeons & Dragons Young Adventurer's Guides are essentially a rules-free, like a toolkit for storytelling. So it's, here are creatures in the D&D universe. Here's a bunch of beautiful new lush artwork. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a sec. And here's a bunch of information. This is where this creature comes from, and this is what they feed on, and this is where their layer is. And if you had to think of them and imagine them, this is what you would compare them to size-wise. Mm. And this is their qualities. And we didn't organize it alphabetically. We organized it thematically. So the Monsters book starts underground. So we have all these cool underground creatures. So you can imagine these creatures interacting with each other and where they dig through tunnels or they you know, uh, um, lurk about. 
And then we move to the surface and then we've got forests and mountains and, and oceans and all this stuff. And then the book ends triumphantly up in the air. So we've got flying creatures and dragons, of course, right? And so it's this big soaring spectacle of cool artwork and ideas and telling kids, look, you're going to go on adventures and you're going to find these things. And some of these things you're going to make friends with and some of them you're going to fight against because they're bad or they're evil or they, they, they want things that you don't want or all sorts of stuff like that. And just getting them thinking about their own storytelling qualities, giving them cool little factoids about what these creatures do and what they feed on and what their defenses are or what their weaknesses are. Yeah. If, you've, you know, if you're in a tunnel and you hear these kinds of sounds, look out for these kinds of creatures or this is what undead are afraid of or this is what you know, a master vampire can do. And, and so they're, they're tailored for like an eight-year-old reading level but with this exciting, engaging language. And then in between some of the major sections, there's these things called encounters. They're a short piece of fiction setting up a scene with a character, and then there's a series of questions at the end, like, what would you do? Like, what mm, decision would you make? Cool. Where would you go? I love this. And so you're so prepping much. them for role-playing. You're giving them the tools to make decisions very freeform. We're not trying to tell yeah. them to roll dice. We're not trying to tell them, write down a bunch of stats. What we're saying is answer these questions and think about yourself engaging this material. Then Warriors and Weapons is basically all the martial classes, beautifully illustrated races and, and the character classes, the non-magic classes essentially. So um, along with equipment, tons of illustrations of equipment. So what armor are you wearing? What weapons are you wielding? What kind of stuff do you need to assemble to go on an adventure? Do you yeah. need to have rations? And where do you store right. all this stuff? Ten-foot poles and right. coils of rope. <laughs> right? and, and, and I know that sounds really potions. dorky, but when I was a kid, man, I would imagine the kit. I would imagine the stuff. I yeah. would, it's like you're getting ready to go on a trip. Yep. What do you want to take? What do you, don't forget all the things. Well, and that's a very kid-like thing. My five-year-old, uh, uh, you know, she gets such a kick out of having a purse yeah. and putting – Meaningless stuff in yep. the purse. Like right. She literally has like like here's this trinket and mm-hmm. this toy and this thing. And Quinn and likes to fill up his backpack. Right, and yeah. it's it's it, 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 it's the a very idea adventures. that makes you feel adult, even yeah. though it's got yep. nothing to do with adults. And, and so, so like, you're saying, what does this stuff look like? Mm-hmm. What does it feel like? Is this heavy? Is this light? What would you take? You know, and who are you? And so you're creating a heroic persona. You're imagining yourself on adventures. Here's the bad guys. Here's the good guys. Or here's who the 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 range of possibilities. Mm-hmm. And then what we're saying is bring that to the table. Bring that to Adventurers League or, or go to your local gaming store or your parents are now going to sit you at a table and say, that thing that you do, this is what you roll. Or that race that you are, these are the statistics that go with that. But we're not going to overwhelm you with rules. We're not going to overwhelm you with um, the statistical qualities of it. We're just going to give you a visual toolkit to build your own things and get excited about the possibilities. And um, you can open it up at any spot. You can read it from cover to cover if you want. Or you can just get absorbed on what are the biggest creatures and the smallest creatures or Mm -hmm. which creatures are underground and which creatures are in the oceans. Or you can get absorbed on, you know, the different races and class combinations that you could provide for them. And that is an imagination toolkit. And that is a storytelling toolkit. We want libraries to carry this, not because they're game books, but because they're like, creative writing, yes. you know, kind of prompts. Creative, yes, they, I was going to say that there are prompts. Yeah, for and, and, and giving you a very simple framework to understand the same kinds of qualities that you will take to the table. Yes. And so that was really important to us was, is this 
engaging to a young reader? Is it exciting for them? Does it give them new information that they don't know about this world and these options and then leaves them free to explore in whatever kind of way they choose with the natural understanding that, did you know this is a game? You can play this. And so if they want to follow up, whether it's with their peer group or with adults or with uh, you know, a game demo, it's really easy for them to imagine themselves now moving to that next step. And that's what's really cool for us is um, when we were planning these things out, I said, look, I know naturally the easiest answer would be take strip all the artwork out of the monster manual, throw it in this book, we'll throw some new text on top of it. I said, but honestly, if you really want to engage people, you should make art specifically for this book. Not to kidify it, because that's not what we're trying to do, right. but just so that not only an existing D&D reader could get something out of it, we can show more detail of things. We can show every piece of equipment visually. We can really dig yeah. into the lush visual quality that a kid's going to get. The writing's not informed by the art you right. have available. It's the right. way around. And, and 10 Speed, to my astonishment, was like, well, what if it was all new? And so there, okay. were, there were a handful of pieces that we realized were so iconically good from the original from the fifth edition books that we would reuse but at 95 percent of its new artwork that's, that's great and so these books I, I now feel like not only are they great for eight to ten to twelve year olds maybe even a little bit older um, you could I'm just not, give it to a new player i'm not gonna lie when you were talking about all the monsters yeah. i'm like i gotta read this no, book because well, <laughs> i find myself all the time like we'll be playing D and the party encounter some kind of monster mm-hmm. and everyone goes oh oh yeah and i'm like well, what if monster. Like, I you don't... could just flip open That's the book so and hand that though. to players, yeah. and you, because there's no stats on it, you, the DM doesn't have to worry about wrecking the the power level. Yeah. If I could just flip a book open and say, "Look at that," and you realize, "Oh, did you know that a, a beholder can be from this size to this size? Right. They could be the size of one of those giant beach balls." But, right. Well, now you can visualize it so much easier. That's how big a beholder. Especially is. like if a wizard or a, or a, a character rolls yeah. an arcana and like, right. "Oh, you got really high here. Yeah. You know every, all Here's of this on right. this page." Yeah. But I could hand that to an adult, and I could say. I know you're intimidated. You want to try D&D, but you're intimidated by charts and you're intimidated by stats and dice. Look at this. Mm-hmm. It's, you can read this in, in, in an hour or two, like nothing, and just, bring, just write down some things that, that catch your yeah. eye. And then I'll show you how the game works. Yeah. Don't worry about the granular stuff. Tell me what kind of hero you want to be. And then we'll make it happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that to me feels like that's more valuable than I think so. overwhelming someone with here's here's the, the ten by ten grid and <laughs> although it's funny because in the dun- when I was a kid, one of the things I loved making were dungeon maps. So in the Dungeons and Tombs book, I'm getting ahead of myself because it's coming to October, there's a map making section, which is literally here's graph paper and here's all the oh, here's oh, how you that's make awesome. it. Secret doors look like this and traps there, look like this. I and, did that's that. one of the th- all the things also that's so great about D and D when we were yeah. talking about that earlier is that there's so many different facets for mm-hmm. someone to discover and fall in love with. Yeah. That you will get those kids that are like I could just make dungeons all day, every day. And someone else is like, I just want to make characters. And someone else is like, I just want to draw owlbears. Or I just love wizards and spells. Yeah. Or the miniatures or any of the different Or now, like, I want to read more about dragons. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. it just inspires so many different... Absolutely, and you know what these books remind me of? It's uh, the practical guys. The practical guys. Were you here when they were? When? Oh yeah, yeah. Of course you were. Yep. Yeah, I've been here since the Stone Age. (laughs) But there was the practical guide to fairies, the practical guide to dragons, wizards, monsters. Okay. 
Yeah, my, oh, wait, my we had wizardry. My girls every once in a while will, will say like, "Hey, can we read the fairy dragon, book?" Dragon. And we'll pull out that mm-hmm. practical guide to fairies and read, you know. And it's 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 less broad uh, right. than what than what you're talking about sure. because it was about a specific kind of there's also wild and group. But one of the things that was cool to us was the ability to do storytelling through lines that are obvious when you're going to see all four books, but that they still stand on their own. Mm. So, for example, in the um, in the monsters book. There is a section on vampires, and then there's master vampires, and then there's a legendary vampire, which is Strahd. And so you're like, oh, this power level increase. And then in the wizard in the warriors book, you've got um, w- one of the things as we're going through is we have adventurers kits, and we have a vampire hunters kit in there. Well, what would you need to carry if you were going to be a vampire hunter? So you're like, oh, vampire kill vampires. That's how that all fits together. Yeah. In the magic book, one of the the major magic items is the sun sword. Ah. So you're like, oh, that's, that's a vampire oh. killing sword. I get it. And then in the dungeons book, one of our many dungeons that we tour through is Castle Ravenloft. So Did you, you use got, the isometric... Uh, uh, you got a little chunk of that map yeah. in there. So you're basically like, here's a story ready to go, mm-hmm. but we're not telling you you have to do it all. But it's clear, one, two, three, four. You can take all these pieces and you can use them in your own storytelling if you want. Or none of it. And that's that, uh, you know, by having that clue essentially in all four of those things, it also teaches the thing that uh, Dungeons & Dragons is all about, which is taking stuff from different source books and then putting them in your head, and then all of a sudden you've got an original story. But you were inspired by all these these practical items that you saw in in different areas. And the kind of decision-making. So some of the decisions in the books, these encounters that we put together, are very, you know, combat run in, run out, save your friend, save yourself kind of stuff. But then there's some that are real soft skill kind of negotiations or there's one that I'm really, really proud of Mm -hmm. that's you've made a mistake and you're trying to convince someone else not to get into combat. Like how do we... How do we make it clear to them we never meant to be in this situation? You know what I mean? Like a little more complex sort of thought processes like that. Um, That kind of stuff was important to me, that we were showing all kinds of different decision-making elements within the scope of the rules, right? But not even rules, of of the fiction, of the toolkit. Um, And and just trying to push and pull those different qualities that that will find their way into a game in unexpected um, fashion, you know? And, And... I've got an amazing crew that I'm working with. Based on the schedule, when we put this thing together, uh, it would have been great. I would love to have written the whole thing, but my comic writing schedule is absolutely bug nuts. <laughs> and so I said, look, can I architect out the structure for these books? And then I'm going to bring writers that I trust into the mix. Um, so I've got Stacy King and Andrew Wheeler, who are two great D&D players, good friends of mine, near and dear to my heart. Um, who know this stuff and they know that they're into it the way I'm into it. And so I templated, this is how I would do a creature. This is how this stuff makes sense. And then we parsed out different parts of the book and they were writing elements of it. And then I would do editorial and then we do approvals and back and forth. The 10 speed people were amazing. Andrew and Stacy were amazing. All of us trying to bring knowledge and research, but also passion into it. And what I loved was that Stacy and, and Andrew didn't just follow a template like a cold, hard photocopy, but they would bring their own ideas into the mix. Hey, Great. what if we had these other things to it? Or what, you know what I was thinking? I literally woke up last night and I wrote down some notes about, <laughs> wouldn't it be cool if we added these, you know, when we're doing the size references, how we can bring it to, I thought about this kind of encounter. And it's like, all of us are passionate about it. It's not just, yep. I'm not just on high point and note, hey, you do this and you do that. 
we're all trying to make it better. We're like all trying a good to make D&D it special. Like D&D party. Right. Like yes. a, yeah, bringing all your different skills to bear, all the art yeah. that was put into this. I love that. And, and, the patron and, of 10 Speed having the, the wherewithal to kind of be like, oh, this is something that we should, we should bring one of to the, bear. One of the editors at 10 Speed is an old D&D player. Yeah. And every so often he would throw these amazing little things into the mix. And I was like, where'd that come from? And he goes, oh, man. He's bringing play. it all back for me yep. too, you know. He's and gonna he's start like, playing yeah. too now. He's like, I'm a young adventurer. I right? need this guide. You and do. so that I feel that kind of passion is gonna make this stuff extra special. That it's not just, you know, like here's the cold data that we're vomiting out on the page. This is like every little profile is fun. Yes, it does all hook up with D and D fifth edition canon, mm-hmm. but we're not just I'm not taking the text block of the beholder cutting out a bunch of bigger words and making it for kids. What I'm saying is what aspects of this creature are going to viscerally can I can I get your imagination firing with yeah. whether it's the way it looks or the way it feels or the way it smells or the way it moves. What can I tell you about this creature that you can imagine it in your mind and be excited about about taking it on, you know, that it wasn't about data, it was about storytelling. And I love that also you're creating, you know, this like chain of events, right? So like, you know, we have these ABCs and 123s of D&D books uh, that uh, uh, Ivan and Kayla put together and then I feel like these books are kind of a next step of like, you know, and then the Endless Quest books that Matt Mm -hmm. Forbeck uh, is writing, like, you know, kind of a young adult reader on his own type thing and then, you know, you get the starter set and you start playing and then you get, you know, you get all the three core rule books and then you're Killing Strahd, and uh, you, then you're you writing know, your own stuff and absolutely. dividing your own things. Like and then your gym's up. Ha. Then all of a sudden your gym's up. No, impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how I got here. You're creating gym's up clones <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> G- I hope Good. So. Mind we have clones. a lot of work we want you to do. Story clones. G- you know, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, you're right, working right, on I'm so really busy, guys. <laughs> I could use some freaking clones. Um, <laughs> here's, the, here's the other thing, too, though. Like, honestly, someone uh, on Twitter, when these books got announced, and they, they didn't mean it in a negative way, but they were sort of like, are these basic, is this to replace the starter set. I said, no. And they were I don't get it. And it's I said, game. well, first of all, it's not for you. But second of all, <laughs> uh, and that's not a bad thing, but, you know, different products for different people, right? Yeah. Different way. And they go, well, we already have the starter set. That's very easy to understand. And oh. I said, I know it seems that way for you as a gamer who's played this stuff for decades. You feel like you could give that to your mom and they would get it. But unless your mom's a gamer, which is entirely possible nowadays, um, that's not true. Like mm-hmm. people are intimidated by people are intimidated by comics. I can hand them a comic. I don't know how to read those. And you laugh, but it's like it's really true. Some people just don't know what they don't know, and they don't want to go outside of a very safe zone of information. I only read romance novels. That's right. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the point is, like, sure, maybe this product doesn't have the exact ingredients that would have brought you into the hobby. And maybe that's what the starter set is, and it exists. Maybe, you know, ABC and 123 is another thing that grabs at a certain age, right? Maybe the endless quest books are all that it takes. You know what's great? Having all those options. Yes. Right. Maybe the comic book brings people in the door. Yeah. Maybe a video game brings people in the door. Maybe a cartoon or a movie or, or a, no, a, a regular fantasy novel that's not D&D specific or, you know, critical role in the adventure zone. It doesn't matter. What matters is... It's all available, and mm. it's all intrinsically working broader and saying you can be a part of this. You should be a part of this. This is for you. It's for him, her, they, everybody. I love it. I yeah. love it. I love it so much. So I, next time, it's my turn to read. To my, when do these come out? When's the so, that's a good question. So the first two books come out July 16th. 
Uh, so that's monsters and creatures okay. and warriors and weapons. Okay. And the second two come out, I want to say mid-October, but I don't have the exact date okay. wedged into my brain yet. I'm bringing these to my son's summer camp. Yeah. And I think I'm going to do a little storytelling, storytelling thing. Because oh. one of the things that I keep saying I want to do, but I'm mm. intimidated, is DM what? for kids. What? It's the best. So I, lo- I love DMing brand new players. I feel like this is my on-ramp. Yeah. That I can just ask those questions yeah. in the book, and we can just riff off also, of that. Story time. I mean, yeah. in some ways, so, that's how I, I when, when I was dungeon mastering for my kids, it was like, it was, it was very open-ended. I feel like it felt that's a little what bit like the need. questions that yeah. you were talking about. Yeah, because you want to empower them. What you don't want to do is intimidate them with, no. you have to do it this Here's way. Your you have sheet. to roll this. Add your dex back. And this will, come you know, on, kid. Wrong do number. It, do it right or else. <laughs> yeah. It's real, real broad, real, you know, storytelling centric. Yeah. I love DMing. I love bringing new people in the hobby just in general because it's really exciting to me. The purity of the responses that people give mean a lot because when you've been playing for decades you can't help but gamify it you look and you're seeing it through a filter of a mechanical filter and so when I play a game when I'm the player it's really hard for me to be a player now because I've been the dungeon master for Uh, so many years but I'm a player and what I'm trying to do is I'm simultaneously trying to make the DM's job easier so I'm trying to preempt and uh, so I'm trying to bring the group together almost overly too much it's like could you be more of a troublemaker because (laughs) we need some drama we need drama but what I want to say is, like, I know how hard your job is. I'm trying to help you, you know. Yep. But the other You're thing. You're a good player. That's is, a good partner in yeah, general. Right? Yeah. But the other thing, too, though, is I'm looking at it and I go, well, it's first level adventure. They would never kill us. So, man, it's just a pit. And it's like 1D4. Like, I'm like, the gears are just going the whole time. And what I love about a brand new player, they don't have any of that build up yeah. of, of garbage in their, in their brain. So you put a threat up against them and they go, oh, I could die. Every time, every time. Yep. It's a rat with a knife, and they're like, oh, we got to run. It's going to shank me. <laughs> You're going to sh- lose a kidney. That giant rat could gnaw my oh, leg off. You're like, statistically, it's almost impossible. <laughs> but they, they don't, don't know, know that. that. I had a group I ran in uh, college on a basic adventure, and they went down a cave option down one of the tunnels, and there's a huge pool of green slime. And they're like, here's this murky. I'm describing it all viscous and all this stuff. And someone takes a stick, and they stick it in the pond, and it melts it. And they go, if we fall in there, we'll die. <laughs> and they just backed off and they never went down that tunnel. <laughs> I'm like, that's like half the adventure down that tunnel. Like, you They're guys. like, what if we fall? If we fall, and I'm going to melt. Yeah, I'm not going down there. That I'm not taking be, damage for nobody. That'd be stupid. And you're just like, that would be stupid. But an adventurer, you know, right. w- when you know the stats, you're like, nah, I can't do that much damage. They'll just try. Well, I'll stick my face in it. Who cares? And you know, <laughs> but but a, but a brand new adventurer, man, they don't know. And that's what's amazing. But they will parlay with anything because they they will. Let's they don't assume they have to fight. That is the craziest thing. They, they get into their very first very encounter. And I'm telling them, okay, roll initiative, do this. And they're all like, hold on. What, what if we, we don't want to fight? We want to love. If, yeah, what if we laid out our <laughs> weapons? I'm like, what are you, nuts? You know? <laughs> we embrace the slime. <laughs> we want the slime to be one of us. But you, you're amazed sometimes at the really natural storytelling that comes out of those choices yeah. where someone is suddenly realizing, hey, we could bribe these guys. Hey, we could sneak past them. It doesn't have to be kill them, get their treasure. And I like there's so many new players who are coming in who yeah. are uh, also uh, showing that newness and that freshness yeah. to old grognards who've been yeah. playing for yeah. years, and they're yeah. like, "Oh, I can adjust how I've been playing for Absolutely. thirty, you know, for two decades." And then you know, and then it's it's all of a sudden becoming this huge breath of life into the hobby. In yeah, general. and I love the fact that you, no one is. Man, you run your game how you want to run it. You yeah. do the kinds of you emphasize the things you want to emphasize. You change the world. We've always done it. 
we've always made our own campaigns. We've always made our own classes and spells and magic items. But now you can perfectly tailor it to your group, your priorities, the emotional content that you want to have. Yeah. Man, there was the, I forget the hashtag. Oh, it was it was basically people doing fan art of their characters. Okay. Do you remember? I don't remember like the hashtag, but I do remember what you're talking about. Holy crap! Well, the artwork. I started following the stuff. hashtag, and I'm getting verklempt. Like I'm <laughs> thousands of people posting these characters and telling you in two or three tweets why they're special. Yeah. And I was like, man, this is nuts. Like this is the way it should always have been, and I'm so. Uh, proud to be even the tiniest part of, of this You're current bigger thing. than that. No, but bigger I, like, than tiny. At least four Smaller grains on the on <laughs> this uh, four <laughs> grains on the beach of this amazing thing that's been happening. Not at all. You sent hobby. a list over email yeah. of like the ninety five different things that you're working on. <laughs> I know. Just related to Dungeons and Dragons. Not even your comic book stuff yeah. that you're doing. So people you know, like superheroes. You've got that's at least six weird. grains. Uh, yeah. uh, not six just grains on the beach man. <laughs> Do you feel like there's more of an emphasis on story? Now than there ever I was. I don't know that it's ever. Okay, I'm sure. At the you're talking the chainmail era is built off of war gaming, right? So in that era, story was a really low priority. But that doesn't mean that it's wrong either. You know, the game can be strategic in its countenance, yeah. right? Um, I think that there's definitely that has come to the forefront, maybe in more. It's being emphasized in a very strong way. Yeah. I was reading a really interesting article about the transformative aspect of uh, Tracy Hickman coming on board. Yeah, uh, TSR and how Ravenloft changed everything. Not just Lauren. Ravenloft, even the Desert of Desolation series. That mm. there's a narrative hook in there that's a much, it's a much more um, big picture story. The oldest D and D dungeons tend to be here's an environment, provide your own context, and there's something cool about that because. If there's no context, you can provide all of it or none of it. And and Tracy's very much like, here's a aspirational story that you can bring into yeah. the fore. And that is cool too. But I like that it all works. Right. It's just what And what we found out, which was really do. fascinating when we were at GaryCon and speaking to Margaret Weiss, was that it, you know, Tracy was was instrumental in that, but it was Laura Hickman who mm-hmm. brought that storytelling yep. to yeah. the modules and uh, uh, and and you know, really emphasized that fact that there's it's not just enter room kill yeah. monsters. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. is it was so a much more tissue. absolutely to to do and and uh, yeah, so it was really fascinating uh, to see that through line. One of the weirdest and most wonderful things. So I've been doing Gen Con when I was a kid. I would look at the oldest modules and I'd flip it over and I would say, this was a tournament adventure at Gen Con 81. And I would go, Gen Con. Uh, like, to, to be at Gen Con. To, we just to, saw the place where the very first Gen Con right? took place. It's so mind-blowing. Uh, but but to, to go to that, it seemed like that would be the greatest experience. And the first time I went, blew my mind in the whole 10 yards. Now I go every year, I have a booth there, and I share a booth with Howard Taylor, who's this uh, award-winning cartoonist and author, dear friend of mine and through him we now we share a booth with Tracy and Laura and it's like Tr- Tracy Hickman is my friend <laughs> and I say that with I wish you could see the expression on my face if you're not watching the video um, it is crazy it's nuts like it's it it's his work their work the work did so much for me you mm-hmm. know with Dragonlance and Ravenloft and, and everything in between um, and now we hang out you know, and he calls me Zub, and how did this ever happen? You know, where did 
this all come about, uh, that I see them at another convention and we, you know, wave and hug each other and how's your kids and all that kind of stuff. Like, this doesn't seem humanly possible. <laughs> um, but the whole community has been that way. Yeah. You know, the people that when I started doing the D&D comic that were just people on an email chain, I came in the office this morning and we hugged and high-fived and how have you been and what's new. Like it's, I haven't been here in the office in two years and it just feels like really familiar. And like coming home. Everything's yeah. awesome. There's such warmth and there's such care for games, for players, for people here in the office. That's why... It's doing so well. We talked about the, you know, the passion that you're bringing in. Like, you can, we're not just putting out a cold product, whether that's Rick and Morty D and D or or the Young Adventures guides or any of this stuff. It's like I believe in this and I want to show you why it's special and yeah. let's try and make something really cool. You know, that's awesome, man. Well, we're we're very excited. I, I didn't realize it was two years. It feels like it was just like you yeah. know yeah. a snap of fingers and uh, uh, even gone. I guess it's yeah. about a year and a half. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's great to have you back. It feels, awesome. uh, you know, uh, like you're just, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, you're just one of the one of the crew that just comes in and, and just, does amazing work and, and, thank you. and gets, uh, you know, inspired by, by what's happening here and vice versa. Everyone That's loves, phenomenal. Uh, uh, you know, taking a cue off of what you're doing. And, and yeah. we're just really excited yeah. about what 2019 and beyond has got going on. It's, it's, it's insane. Where uh, can people, so obviously you're going to be at, at Animal City Comic Con. Yeah, I'm in Artist Alley, set up at table Y14. Y14. So if you're in the Seattle yeah. area, Come and see Zub and, yeah. and all of his amazing stuff that's happening. Uh, where can people follow you if they are just finding that? Which sure. is bizarre, but where they, if they find out from you for the first time? So the easiest way, the hub for everything is just my website. It's real easy, jimzub.com. So J-I-M-Z-U-B.com. And on there is obviously your typical, you know, there's like ordering information on my books. There's interviews. There's reviews. There's also tutorials. On the right-hand side, there's a little... Um, uh, menu you can click on and it's like how to pitch your own comic stories how scripts are written for comics specifically some of the economics of working in the comic book industry and things people may not realize about working on brands and editorial and all that sort of stuff and trying to make that as interesting and entertaining as possible but yeah. also here's the real stuff I'm sorry stuff that I wish I'd known you were burping uh, uh, before burping. we were on Mike uh, <laughs> as, uh, as Rick, Rick but now now you're doing now I'm just burping now for the sake of burping <laughs> but, but uh, about how to get you know things I wish I had known about comics before I got my foot in the door right um, those are things you could have called these young adventurer guys yeah, things the, I wish I knew yeah, about Dungeons and Dragons right. before yeah. I started playing um, and, and then I'm on Twitter a lot comics is really heavily Twitter focused so I'm at Jim Zub real easy and I answer questions and, and you know love engaging with people show me the books show me you know what you're doing D&D in particular I love seeing what's going on there and there's so many of us that are bopping back and forth and joking with each other and the in-jokes that build up over weeks and, and it's a, it's a, a wonderful time. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yep. you are uh, an, an inspiring and creative force and uh, I'm hoping for, for more to come. Thank yes. you. I well, I have good news. There's more to come. Nice. It's so funny because literally before we did this interview, we had to do a checklist of what are we allowed to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I can say. Uh, but this year is There's absolutely more. bonkers. It is bonkers. It, it is. is. It is. It's yeah. going to be exciting. And the eight-year-old Jim Zub is blowing his mind right now. Nothing. There's shrapnel of blood and bone and brain <laughs> everywhere in it his room. It's so <laughs> would have thought. Yeah. yeah. I, teach a, I teach at an art college in Toronto, 
and on yeah, top of everything else yeah, you teach I'm too. An idiot. So um, what happens though is <laughs> I I, I uh, I'm writing I'm co-writing the Avengers for Marvel Comics right now, and yeah. there's, the a hand, there's a handful there's a handful of students project. that think that's cool. When they found out I was doing D and D stuff, there was way more of them that thought really that was cool. way D and D is cooler than the Avengers. Way, you, you heard it here first. Way cooler. <laughs> you owe me a coke. Fine. It's awesome. crazy. Well, a, you are an amazing a, person. A, High fives bring, all around. Bring your class back some students. Some students. We're going to swag. Yeah, yeah. Swag it up. Swag it up. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. Uh, and uh, Thank yeah. you. We'll, we'll have you back on soon. Yay. 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 Oh, man. That Jim Zub, he Love makes him. me very happy. We could talk forever. In my soul. I know, right? Like, yeah. he just makes uh, everything kind of sing. I'm so In excited for these heart. books. I know, right? I'm July 16th, so excited. July 16th, the first two of them come out. Uh Mark it on your calendars. Get ready. Yes. We are going to be talking to Jim for a lot of things. Uh, but, you know, of course, the Rick and Morty uh, versus Dungeons and Dragons is available in trade format everywhere. So pick that up if you can, too. It's very, very good. Yes. Yes. Do it. Do it. Um, I am, uh, I think that's all I really want to kind of cover. We did it all in the beginning. I agree. We love all this. Please follow me on the Twitters. I am gr- at Greg Tito. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to have, say that with an accent and it ended up coming up out in a very not good way. I think Shelly's broken. You can follow her at Shelly Moo if you'd like. Uh, or you can follow her uh, at uh, Electric Boogaloo 2. Wait, no, what is it? It's at Avalon Hill 2. <laughs> Uh, the sequel, which is a very good uh, Twitter handle for a, 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 a game. <laughs> I lost it. Uh, Betrayal Legacy is a fa- fine uh, game. I almost took your last copy uh, today, by the way, to give it to Gail Simone. Oh, you could have. I have more. You have more? See, that's yeah. what I want to ask. But I, got more. I literally gave them a, a pile of stuff. Uh, Gail Simone is a, a comic book writer. She's done so many amazing stuff in the comic book world. But amazing enough, she loves Dungeons and Dragons, and she met her husband while playing D&D. No way. So I'm hoping to get her on uh, Dragon Talk yes, to course. talk about all the amazing stuff that she's done as well as uh, hearing that story. Yep. Yeah. I love a good love story. Um, yeah. And so if you're around for the Seattle area for Emerald City Comic Con, go get see there. Jim Zub. He's doing tons of great stuff there, including a live panel performance of him playing Dungeons and Dragons with Kate Welch, amongst others, uh, to celebrate, uh, you know, the whole Rick and Morty uh, versus Dungeons There's and Dragons. There's gonna be burping. Sting. There will be burping. He's very good at burping. He really is. Yeah. Like, like you can burp pretty good, too. Yeah. yeah. I'm not gonna do it, but just know that I can. <laughs> just know that I can. I feel, I feel like Ask people should, should bug you on Twitter to, to do that. Burp or burp? <laughs> Both. Bernie. But- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, well, follow follow us, all of us, and you'll hear all this hilarity going on. But if you want to just find out about Dungeons & Dragons, of course, go uh, follow at Wizards underscore D&D on the Twitters. We're on the Facebook. Uh, DungeonsDragons.com is a good starting point, as well as DragonMag.com Dragon oh, yeah, on the web and downloading Dragon Plus for your apps. Tell everybody about Dragon Talk. We're trying to get the word out to as many folks as possible uh, for reasons. Um, so I've been loving all of the uh, Twitter love that many of our listeners has been thrown out there. Thank and I, you. And I love it. And thank you to all of our fans who said hi to us at GaryCon. Yeah. It was very uh, humbling. I, I don't get that happen to me very often. So folks who are recognizing uh, us by our voices, uh, yep. that was a, a surreal type thing. 
for sure. Yes, it was. But I loved it and wanted to give high fives to all of you. Me too. Both virtually <laughs> and in person, like we did. High five. High five. Uh, you know what we should not high five, though, is the ceiling because it looks pretty precarious. You think something could potentially fall on us? I think so. I'm going to have to. Oh! oh!